Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. gone so the whole top section of the house is completely ruined so it's toes the house will be torn down now so kind of hard to take but hey we're alive and that's the main thing we just all ran to the restrooms and just watched the whole building fall luckily the restrooms didn't fall that's the only thing that kept us alive god look is it, what is that a tree behind them and you saw the roof damage man that is major good morning everyone caitlin's on assignment poppy and i are here good morning and, wow wow indeed a lot of weather and storm damage. A lot of bad weather all lately. across the country. Yeah, all across the country. So we're going to take you through all of it. Officials calling the tornado damage near Houston. They're saying it is catastrophic. Buildings left destroyed. Debris scattered across miles. Look at that. This morning, the area is on high alert. We're live on the ground in Pasadena, Texas. Plus this. What in the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, you, you huh? tell me. How did classifying documents end up at your brother's house in Indiana? I have no idea. Uh, if he said he didn't, he didn't. Yeah, my, my brother's very honest. Classified documents found, again, but in a different vice president's home. Vice Former Vice President Mike Pence's Indiana home, now in the hands of the FBI, those documents are. What we're learning about the new discovery and this. Boy, oh boy, emotions are high in Memphis as residents brace for the release of that body cam video showing police beating Tyree Nichols. What we now know about the deadly encounter, we're going to take you live to Memphis on that story. There's so much to cover this morning, but we're going to begin with a dangerous winter storm barreling east after unleashing a powerful tornado in Texas. Buildings and homes obliterated near Houston and now Alabama and the Florida Panhandle are on high alert at this hour. This morning, more than 80 million Americans are under winter storm alerts from Mexico to Maine. The Midwest is bracing for some of the heaviest rainfall, or snowfall, I should say, this season. We could see major flight cancellations at airports in cities like Chicago and Detroit. In Texas, tornado-ravaged communities in the Houston area are cleaning up this morning. We're hearing harrowing stories from survivors who witnessed the tornado's sheer power. We were right here, like the overhead door was right here. Like you can see where it's at. So I was shutting that and then we ran into the restrooms right here. And that's when everything just come down and everything, all the beams, every everything just come down on top of us. Uh, we were all inside, tornado, we could hear the noise. The drop down ceiling inside started lifting up and down. We all went into the bathroom. The storm went over pretty quick. Came outside and saw all this damage. We don't even know where that trailer came from, by the way. Boy, oh boy, this is serious. Look at that, Poppy. Look yeah, at that. That I is a know. gas line, wow. an open gas line in Baytown, Texas, spewing flames wow. up from the ground in the middle of all the carnage, all the wreckage there. Emergency responders say that they were swamped with 911 calls for building collapses and gas leaks. 
among other things. Rosa Flores, live on the ground near Pasadena, Texas this morning. Wow, Rosa, this is crazy. You know, it is. There's no question. There's a path of destruction where these tornadoes and storms hit. You can see it behind me. There's down power lines and that mangled mess that you see behind those power lines. That used to be a gym. Uh, the owner telling our affiliate KHOU that they hid in the bathroom at the time to save their lives. And they uh, say that the, that action actually saved their lives. So this morning, People here in the Houston area counting their blessings because no fatalities have been reported. We couldn't see anything. It just went white. Everything went white. Explosions were happening. It was terrifying. The devastating scenes of destruction after more than a dozen tornadoes reportedly touched down in Texas and Louisiana Tuesday. I'm going to tell you, my 25 years here, this is probably the worst damage that I've seen. Um, Just catastrophic. This neighborhood just outside Houston left in ruins with roofs torn clear off homes. We just all ran to the restrooms and just watched the whole building fall. Luckily, the restrooms didn't fall. That's the only thing that kept us alive. The damage, leaving some families in Pasadena, Texas, displaced from their homes and facing the daunting task of rebuilding. It was the most scary thing, you know, in my life, but thank to God that we are here, you know, sound and alive. This family says the second story of their home is destroyed. The house is gone, so the whole top section of the house is completely ruined, so it's toast. The house will be torn down now, so kind of hard to take, but hey, we're alive, and that's the main thing. The mayor stressing the severity of this weather event, speaking in front of the town's damaged animal shelter where dogs had to be evacuated. So we have uh, all hands on deck right now, uh, all our neighborhoods, just not this neighborhood, all throughout Pasadena, the tornadoes touched here, touched there, and we're doing everything we can to make sure all our citizens are safe. Nearby in Deer Park, Texas, the storm was so forceful it overturned cars and left them mangled in parking lots. There is a car that is yards from where we are. I talked to the sister of the owner of that car. She tells me that that car was parked right over where I am actually standing. The tornadoes left destruction in their wake, filling the streets with debris and destroying homes, stores, and businesses. Aerials show this church destroyed. The roof is gone, and you can see tables and furniture strewn across the rooms. An assisted living facility sustained structural damage, forcing 59 residents to evacuate. And this clinic completely torn apart. The windows shattered and debris filling the parking lot. The lights kept flickering, and then with a loud explosion, all you could see was like debris and stuff. So I locked the door and was running towards the back. And then as I was going towards the door, the glasses came in, and then just the building started ripping apart. Now, those cars that you saw that were mangled and overturned, that was in Deer Park. I talked to the owner of one of those cars, and Don, she described those very intense moments. She was safe, thank goodness. She says that she was inside the building at the time that the tornado hit in that area. But Don, she says that her car was parked yards from where it was, so it it wasn't just mangled. This storm, this tornado moved vehicles yards from where they were parked. Yeah, unbelievable. Rosa, we'll continue to follow throughout the hours here on CNN. Thank you so much. All right, breaking news moments ago, a major development in the war in Ukraine after weeks of pressure from Western allies. Germany announcing this morning it will send those Leopard 2 tanks to the war zone uh, 
joining the United States and doing so. Our Fred Plekton joins us live in eastern Ukraine. Look, this is huge news, right? And very welcome news for Vladimir Zelensky and all of Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. And you already heard yesterday when it sort of was seeping through that this was probably going to happen, that the Ukrainians certainly are very happy. We just got some details from the Germans. They say that their main goal is to create, in the end, two tank battalions that the Ukrainians are supposed to get. That would be about 88 of these Leopard 2 main battle tanks. However, they also say that in a first step right now, they're going to send 14 of these tanks as fast as possible. The Germans also say they want the training for the Ukrainians to start as fast as possible. There was one interesting nuance that we got, Poppy, from the Germans as well. They're saying that they are going to give permission to other European countries that own these tanks to also send these Leopard 2 main battle tanks to the Ukrainians as well. That means the Ukrainians could get a lot of these tanks very quickly because a lot of European nations have these tanks. Now, of course, we know that all this came after some pretty tough negotiations between the Germans and the United States. In the end, the United States apparently relenting to also sending Abrams' main battle tanks to Ukraine as well. Of course, the Ukrainians pretty happy to be getting tanks both of German make and of American make in the not too distant future as well, guys. And Fred, there's been quite the response this morning from Russia, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I was actually messaging with the Kremlin spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, and, uh, a little while ago. And first of all, he was saying that obviously the Russians say that this will increase the tension here on the continent. He says that suffering will increase for the Ukrainians as well. Uh, he wrote that in a message to me, but, but really some strong words coming from the Russian ambassador to the United States. And he said he came out and he said that Abrams tanks that enter Ukraine will be destroyed by the Russians. Of course, the Russians so far have said that about pretty much every new weapon system that the U.S. and its allies have sent so far. None of that has happened. And again, the Ukrainians really very, very happy with these decisions, uh, really believe they're going to get a lot more tanks than they had originally thought, guys. All ahead of what is expected to be a real Russian escalation in the spring. So key timing. Fred, thank yeah. you for the reporting on the ground in Ukraine. We'll continue to follow that. Meantime, the FBI and the Justice Department launching reviews of the classified documents discovered at the Indiana home of the former vice president, Mike Pence. About a dozen documents were found at Pence's home in Carmel. They were immediately turned over to the FBI. Paula Reed is on this story. She's live in Washington for CNN this morning. Paula, good morning to you. Pence repeatedly claimed in the past that he has no classified documents. What's his explanation? And he, classified, and he said on tape that he didn't have any. And now this. Exactly. Now this. But his lawyer says that Pence was unaware that he had these classified materials. At this point, Don, we don't know what these documents were or their level of classification. But this is the third time in recent history where a former president or vice president has retained classified documents after leaving office. <laughs> Lawyers for former Vice President Mike Pence discovered about a dozen documents marked classified at his Indiana home last week. Pence previously insisted he did not possess any such materials. Well, there'd be no reason to have classified documents, particularly if they were in an unprotected area. But he asked his lawyers to conduct a search of his home out of an abundance of caution in the wake of classified documents being found at two locations connected to President Biden. People know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. In a letter to the National Archives obtained by CNN, Pence's representative to the archives, Greg Jacobs, wrote that a small number of documents bearing classified markings were inadvertently boxed and transported to the vice president's home. 
The classified material was stored in boxes that first went to Pence's temporary home in Virginia before being moved to Indiana, but the boxes were not stored in a secure area. His lawyers say he was unaware of the materials. Pence previously shared his careful process for handling such documents. Uh, I'd go to the safe where my military aide would uh, place those classified uh, materials. Uh, I'd pull them out. Uh, review them, I'd receive a presentation to them, and then, uh, frankly, more often than not, uh, Larry, I uh, would simply return them back uh, to the file that I'd received them in. The Justice Department is now reviewing how the materials ended up at Pence's house. A similar review last year over classified documents found at President Biden's home and office prompted the appointment of a special counsel. I'm here today to announce the appointment of Robert Herr, as a special counsel. Former President Trump is also under investigation for possibly mishandling classified information, as well as other crimes, including obstruction. We did nothing wrong. I was president. I had the right to declassify. Pence's estranged former political partner offered support yesterday, writing on social media, Mike Pence is an innocent man. He never did anything knowingly dishonest in his life. Leave him alone. It is unclear whether a special counsel will be needed in this case, but Pence previously pushed for an investigation of others. The handling of classified materials is a very serious issue for our nation, and we ought to take it seriously. But there ought to be equal treatment under the law. CNN has reached out to former presidents Clinton, Bush and Obama. Their representatives say they have all handed over every classified document that they possess and they don't intend to do any additional searches. But of course, none of those men will be running for president next year. Don? Do they all, Paula, <laughs> classified documents just somewhere hanging out? It's possible. There have been suggestions that we need an amnesty period. That's one yeah. suggestion. Even one of the former president's lawyers have suggested maybe just do amnesty. Everybody hand over what you have because yeah. Yeah. this is another thing every day. We'll talk more about this as we continue on. Thank you, Paula. Appreciate that. I think Bobby. you're asking the question everyone's thinking. It's probably. Props true. Uh, probs, true. New this morning, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy making good on his threat, booting Democrats, uh, Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell, off the House Intelligence Committee. The Speaker tweeting he rejected their appointments because he is, quote, committed to returning the committee to one genuine, one of genuine honesty and credibility. Lauren Fox joins us live from Capitol Hill. Um, it's, it's so important to fact check the reasoning that McCarthy has given yeah. for booting the two of them, Lauren. Yeah, McCarthy has been warning that this was the decision he was going to make for months and years now, ever since Democrats voted on the House floor to reject two members from their committees to kick them off committees, both Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene, for making threatening comments at the time against their sitting colleagues. That was something that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said really warranted action from House Democrats. Kevin McCarthy said this last night about his reasoning for kicking Schiff and Swalwell off the Intel Committee. This is not anything political. This is not similar to what the Democrats did, but integrity matters. And they have failed in that place from Adam Schiff using a position of the Intel chair lying to the American public again and again. But McCarthy has been warning for months now that this was the action he was going to take. He's been saying that Democrats made their bed 
years ago when they made the decision to kick off Republicans from committees. So it's really interesting that he said this has nothing to do what Democrats have done in the past. Uh, it's interesting, but I'm wondering, though, uh, this is probably just the beginning, if McCarthy's going to make other moves like this. Well, all eyes are on whether or not he tries to bring to the floor a vote to oust Ilhan Omar from her committee assignment, a Democrat who serves on foreign affairs. Here's one of the issues with that. The Select Committee on Intelligence, he has unilateral power, but he would need a vote of the full House. And there's some signs that a lot of Republican rank and file may not be comfortable ousting Omar from her seat on that committee. All right. Lauren Fox on Capitol Hill this morning. Lauren, thank you very much. All right, later today, the man accused of killing seven people in Half Moon Bay, California, this week is set to be arraigned. Investigators say 66-year-old Chanel Zhao lived and worked at the site of the first shooting, a mushroom farm. That's where he is accused of killing four of his victims on Monday. Police say he killed three others at a nearby site. Our hearts are, are torn out of our chests for, for all these individuals and families. Our neighbors, our friends, uh, the people that work in our community and live in our community. We're a small agricultural uh, coastside town, and we have never experienced anything like this. Well, deputies say the semi-automatic handgun used in the shootings was legally registered to the suspect. CNN has also learned that Zhao has previously been accused of trying to suffocate a former co-worker. The shooting was one of three, if you can believe it, in California in three days. 18 people murdered in those. California Governor <laughs> Gavin Newsom sounded incredibly frustrated as he spoke with CNN, saying something needs to be done federally. Watch this. The stories are devastating. They're devastating. Because uh, the stories are not just about you know, a bullet wound or a loved one's life lost. It's a myriad of issues. It's the person that's on the hospital bed whose leg is shattered. They just put a rod in the leg who says, I need to get out of here because I can't afford the health care bills. Uh, or I need to get out of here because I can't lose my job tomorrow. The farm workers here who literally said, I have no paycheck today. I have no cash. I can't even buy food tonight. I mean, the complete abject failure of our immigration policies exposed yesterday and today. I mean, complete, utter abject failure of common sense on gun safety and immigration policy. So for me, I guess maybe, you know, after 22 days and 32 trillion gallons of water falling on the state and being in a crisis of droughts and floods and now two mass shootings in three days, um, I guess I'm a little more prone to express myself about my frustrations with what I'm not seeing nationally and particularly in Congress right now. Okay. We need the federal government to do its job. This is on everybody. We've chosen this. This is our decision to live in these conditions. It doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. So we've chosen this. We've accepted this. We can sit there and say thoughts and prayers, or we can look in the mirror and say, this is the price, I guess, of whatever. Fill in the blank. Freedom? This is the price? I get freedom? Freedom from what? To have your kid only do six or seven drills? to hide under the desk each and every year as opposed to two or three? Freedom from what? Having complete vulnerability, being anywhere in a crowd, <laughs> dancing with a loved one on New Year's Eve? Lunar New Year? Wow. Later this hour, we will take a closer look at the mass violence taking place across America in our streets and our communities, as Gavin Newsom said, in a way that just doesn't happen 
to this level elsewhere in the world. You cannot argue with a man, especially the frustration that he has, and rightly so, because yes. of what happened. And he's right. The, the, uh, the lawmakers in Washington should take action. Freedom for what? Mm -hmm. Where does your freedom to own a gun mm -hmm. trump other people's freedom to be safe? I think we need to figure that and out. And many of California's gun laws that exist now mm -hmm. are very vulnerable to being overturned because of the Supreme Court decision last term, yeah. which means that if, if, if they do want more to be done, it's going to have to be federally. All we'll right. talk more. Up next, the stock market goes haywire after a technical glitch causes wild price swings on hundreds of stocks. So what happened and what does it mean for trading today? Plus, senators channeling. <laughs> this is great if you missed it. They're inner Taylor Swift. Ticketmaster should look in the mirror and say, I'm the problem. It's me. More CNN this morning to come after the break. That was the end of a wild day on Wall Street uh, after a stock exchange glitch that led to big price swings on more than 250 company stocks. Some high-profile uh, stocks temporarily frozen like Exxon, um, McDonald's, Walmart, you know, big blue chip companies. Christine Romans, our chief business correspondent, is here. Also seen a media analyst, Sarah Fisher. Good morning. Good morning. Um, that used to, that, you know, that took me back, by the way. What? Of us when, when I would do the 9 a.m. show and we would pause and then we'd go yeah, to Christine the bell. and yeah. we'd go to the bell and we'd talk about the market. And it's so, because what happened yesterday was at the opening bell, they have an auction that sets the opening prices. They call it the open cross or whatever. And it just didn't happen. And so suddenly you had these automatic um, canceled orders. You couldn't sort of set the price for the day. So it was a technical glitch that just caused all kinds of problems at the New York Stock Exchange. 250 some stocks affected. Wow. 80 of them actually, they had to halt trading. That, those are stocks worth $6 trillion in value. Now, for investors like most of us who are probably buy and hold investors, this is something that affected traders on the floor and the big yeah. institutional investors. If you're a buy and hold investor, they're going to work out some of these erroneous prices. Uh, but it just was a terrible day with all these earnings reports and so much news and concerns right. about recession. And then all of a sudden, you can't get opening prices at the New York Stock Exchange. It's a black eye for the exchange, it, for sure. It absolutely is. Okay, can we talk about Ticketmaster? Yes. Because apparently in Washington, all of the senators' favorite artist is Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Listen. <laughs> Ticketmaster ought to look in the mirror and say, I'm the problem. It's me. You can't have too much consolidation, something that unfortunately for this country, as a uh, ode to Taylor Swift, I will say, we know all too well. I had hoped um, uh, as of a few months ago to get the gavel back, but once again, she's cheer captain and I'm on the bleachers. A lot of people seem to think that's somehow a solution. I think it's a, it's a nightmare dressed like a daydream. I have to throw out, uh, in deference to my daughter, Eliza, one, one more Taylor Swift quote. Karma's a relaxing thought. Aren't you envious that for you it's not? That's all I've got to say. Mm. <laughs> do, 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 do they think, know what? <laughs> I feel like their young staff might have had a part of putting that Wait, together as the kids, what As the kids said. say, cringe. Very cringe. <laughs> but important point. And what's going to happen to Ticketmaster and Live Nation? I think they're under a lot of heat right now. So we were just talking about this before. The government let 
Live Nation and Ticketmaster merged in 2010, but they said, look, we'll let you do it, but you can't do things that's going to discriminate against the consumer or against other venues if they don't use Ticketmaster if they're Live Nation venues. Then in 2020, they renewed that agreement. It expires in five years. I think what the Taylor Swift does is it creates a flashpoint. It creates a point where we're all going to look back at this fiasco and say, should we renew this? Should they still be combined? And if they aren't still combined... That reduces dramatically their market power, their ability to make money. Senator Blumenthal said this is like the one thing that can unite Democrats yeah. and Republicans. Oh, it was bipartisan yesterday. Yeah, Taylor is. Swift is the only bipartisan thing in America at the moment. But you know what, what's interesting is you can't underestimate the impact on this because I was like, well, is this really that big? Yeah. It is. We were doing the, the number with Harry yesterday and we were right. talking about it. There were people who said, well, StubHub, I like them. They do it pretty much right, but there's something about Ticketmaster so and their handling of this. Something that the company said, it, I mean, look, the company handled it so poorly, and these people who were in line with codes for pre-sale and suddenly couldn't get their tickets, that it was just so unfair and egregious. One of the solutions could be maybe these pre-sale tickets are not transferable. That's something they talked about yesterday. So that you don't have these bots and these resellers who control so much of the market. Another thing is revisiting the merger, looking back at the consent agreement, revisiting the merger and actually having the Department they, of Justice like make some 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 calls on whether this can be um, allowed here. But it was a huge fail. It also, I think, is reflective of the popularity of this new tour. I mean, they sold 2.4 million tickets just like Swift 2024. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. they did it swiftly. Wait. Sorry. Oh, nice. Unlike the lawmakers. <clears throat> nice one. Can can we quickly, before you go, talk about the huge uh, Biden, the first time the Biden uh, administration under DOJ has taken on big tech in this way, a huge lawsuit against charges against Google. Explain why it matters. It matters because Google is by far the biggest advertising business in the world. You're talking over $200 billion in revenue a year. Mm -hmm. And so what the Justice Department is saying is, We want to minimize that. We want to make it easier for everybody, including news publishers like my company, Axios and CNN, to make money. This could dramatically reduce Google's ability to remain one of the largest companies in the world. And they say, Google says. And Google says, this is a bad argument. We're not doing anything wrong, so you can't punish us. You can't break us up. Of course, that's everyone's defense when the Justice Department comes after them. But I'd say they've got a point. It's not like there's a second in line. The numbers, Google's 200, Meta's 116 billion. The third in line is like Tencent and Amazon, and those are 40 and 30 billion. I'm just so fascinated by the way that sort of look at antitrust has changed yeah. in this country. And, the, so. and this, in this Google uh, lawsuit, they're even pointing out the Google executives have said, look, our business model is like Citigroup or, or Goldman Sachs owning the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, you know, they in own those all, internal documents. Right. They own all pieces of the, of the business, and is that inherently anti-competitive? Thank you both. Thanks. Appreciate Thank it. You. Good to see you. Next, another fantastic George Santos claim uncovered. We have suffered life attack, assassination attempt, threatening letter, having to have security guards and police escorts standing in front of our house. Okay, so Santos telling a Brazilian podcaster he survived an assassination attempt on his life. That's not all. Okay, today there's uh, another one, another story about George Santos, and the list of his wild claims just keeps getting longer. New York's newly minted Republican congressman telling a Brazilian podcaster in December, after winning his seat, that he survived an assassination attempt. Santos also claimed that he was mugged by two men in broad daylight on Fifth Avenue. Seen as Eva McKen, the latest from Washington. Okay, Eva, what? Good morning. And now what? 
Well, good morning to you, Don. You would think if there was a mugging in broad daylight in the middle of the summer in Manhattan, as someone was leaving a commercial building and the victim was robbed right down to his shoes, as Santos claims, there would be a police report. But a source at the NYPD tells CNN no such report exists. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean this incident didn't occur, but it certainly raises eyebrows in the context of the many false claims that Santos has made. Embattled Congressman George Santos, back at work on Capitol Hill, dodging tough questions from reporters as new revelations about public claims he's made continue to pile up. The latest coming from a recently released interview with a Brazilian podcast that was taped in December, shortly after Santos won election in New York's 3rd District. Santos claimed in the interview, done in Portuguese, that he was mugged on Fifth Avenue in New York City in the summer of 2021 as he was walking out of a commercial building in broad daylight. They robbed me, took my bag, my shoes and watch. But a source with the New York Police Department tells CNN there's no record Santos reported the alleged crime. The lack of a report doesn't mean the alleged incident didn't take place, but it draws further scrutiny of the claim made by Santos, who has already admitted to lying about key parts of his biography. Another claim Santos made in the interview that's raising eyebrows, that he survived an assassination attempt. We have suffered life attack, assassination attempt, threatening letter, having to have security guards and police escorts standing in front of our house. But Santos did not go into any further details or provide any corroborating evidence. In the same podcast, Santos suggested he was living comfortably enough to make a pledge to donate his congressional salary to charity. He declined to answer questions about that vow on Tuesday. The 34-year-old did say he would cooperate with a potential upcoming House ethics investigation. Will you cooperate with that? Absolutely. Santos wasn't among his colleagues at the new member reception this evening at the White House, though he was invited. I just didn't have the time. It was out of my schedule. Sorry. What are you doing instead? Constituent services. Santos already facing questions about his future plans, including whether he'll run for re-election. So I reached out to Santos's congressional staff about the many claims he made in that podcast, didn't get a response. But back in Santos's district, the Concerned Citizens of New York Three, that's a bipartisan group organized by a Democrat, though. They are calling on Republican Conference Chair Elise Stefanik, their fellow New Yorker, to use her leadership position to drive Santos out. Don. All right. I'm sure there'll be something else tomorrow, Eva. Thank you very much for that. In the meantime, another leader caught with classified documents at home. This time it is the former VP, Mike Pence. How does this keep happening? Former Defense uh, Secretary Mark Esper is going to give us his take. There he is. You see him in the wall. That's next. Also, motions running very high in Memphis as people demand accountability, answers, transparency. And they want to see the video of the police beating of Tyree Nichols, a warning, some of this language. And what you will see is very disturbing. This is about transparency. And damn it, we gonna have it or we need a refund on our tax dollars that we pay. The public wants to see what happened. 
We want to know, are we really employing people that think it's okay to beat the shit out of folks? Wow, a live report from Memphis is straight ahead. Now, both Joe Biden and Mike Pence have been found to have material dating from the time that they were vice president. This never used to happen. Previous Veeps had methods to dispose of this kind of thing. Al Gore would immediately recycle documents, and Dick Cheney, of course, would shoot them in the face. So the FBI, the Justice Department, are investigating a dozen new classified documents found in former Vice President Mike Pence's Indiana home. And now federal law enforcement wants to know what's in the documents and how they ended up at Pence's home. Here's what Pence said last fall. Did you take any classified documents with you from the White House? Uh, I I did not. Um, Do you see any reason for anyone to take classified documents with them leaving the White House? Well, there'd be no reason to have classified documents, particularly if they were in an unprotected area. Yeah, well, these responses, a lot of getting these folks into hot water now. Joining us now, the former defense secretary under President Trump, and that's Mark Esper, I should say, President Trump and Vice President Pence, as a matter of fact, right? Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Thanks for joining. Okay, so listen, when he said, I didn't take, maybe he didn't, maybe it was a staffer, but still, you know, that he's saying there's no reason for someone to have them in their possession. What do you think of Pence's, of them finding in his home and his denial in that ABC interview? Well, first, I, I, I've known Mike Pence for a few years now as vice president. I think he's a man of integrity, and I think he, hate, he takes the handling of classified documents seriously. And with regard to his response, he's correct. There's no need for anybody to have classified documents outside a secure facility. Uh, but look, an investigation needs to happen to find out uh, what occurred. I did see a report yesterday that apparently the boxes were never unpacked or touched uh, since leaving the White House a couple years ago, but uh, we need to find out what happened and do, a, do an assessment. I wonder if you feel the same way about the current president, because Lindsey Graham has said the same thing that you just said similarly about um, the current president, saying that he's a man of integrity and he would highly doubt that there's something nefarious going on. Do you feel the same way about Biden? Again, I think you need to, uh, you, you need to investigate it and find out what happened. What's What's really perplexing I meant the uh, for me. Part. I meant the because oh, yes. well, I, I don't know. I don't know President Biden well. I, I know Mike Pence, and I, I've had numerous interactions with him. So uh, that's not to say one way or the other. But what's most perplexing about uh, the Biden's uh, thing are the documents from the Senate. You know, that was over 16 or so years ago. I worked in the House, the Senate. Uh, there aren't that many documents floating around and certainly not outside of uh, really secure facilities and committee spaces. Yeah. That's a really perplexing one for me. I think that's a fair point, especially given that he was chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and the issues you would deal with that would be classified there. Uh, Secretary, there is, though, the question of overclassification, right? I mean, when you tried to get your memoir cleared uh, during your time in the, in the Trump administration, the Pentagon blocked a lot of it because of overclassification claims, take them to court. You win, they pull back a bunch of their redactions. Looking back at a Washington Post editorial all the way back in 98, 1998, governments keep too many secrets. It keeps material classified far too long. Is this evidence, perhaps that's correct? Could be. There is a lot of overclassification and overclassification of things that should be transparent to the American people or overclassification that ha- that actually hurts our national security because we don't share this information with allies and partners. And so it's it's gone on for years, this overclassification. We need to tackle that problem. And mm-hmm. of course, I had that issue with my book. And, you know, after I uh, uh, took them to court, 
they quickly backed down on nearly all the things that they had classified, mm. uh, although still, uh, there are still a few things that remain redacted <clears throat> in my memoir. Uh, go, oh, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I just thought we should turn to Ukraine. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I want to yeah. talk about the Ukraine because it, it appears the good news this morning. Germany is saying that they're going to send uh, their Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine. Um, the U.S. is, of course, sending tanks as well. Will this make a big difference uh, on the battlefield, do you think? Tanks will make an extraordinarily big difference because uh, they are what is needed to conduct the counteroffensive uh, by Ukraine to uh, really push Russia out of eastern Ukraine and out of uh, the south to include Crimea. The challenge now is to get those tanks quickly to the Ukrainian army, to train them, to make sure the maintenance and logistics are in place, because we all expect one of two things will happen. Russia will conduct an offensive in March, or hopefully uh, Ukraine will conduct a counteroffensive before then. But March is only five weeks away, mm -hmm. and you have to get the tanks there, you have to train crews. That takes a lot of time as well, so we're really up against the clock right now. Just one question to you before you go, Secretary, on our colleague Natasha Bertrand's reporting yesterday that I think is really important, and that is how closely um, the Biden administration is, is, well, have raised concerns, actually, with China about anything potentially Chinese companies selling non-lethal equipment to Russia. You've talked about how Beijing is watching very closely what the U.S. is doing right now. What is your concern? Because remember, at the outset of the war, they, China and Russia had publicly declared this friendship without limits. Right. No, they announced that strategic partnership uh, in very explicit terms just before the February 24th invasion last year. And it's continued. Uh, we believe that Chinese entities are buying Russian energy and things like that. But uh, look, I think uh, clearly Russia is suffering uh, They be, due to economic sanctions, financial, financial sanctions, other things. And what we don't need are countries like China provide the, providing them arms, armaments, assistance, technology, you name it, whatever Russia needs to resuscitate its military machine, we need to block that. And that would be uh, my immediate concern with regard to Ukraine. So you would share that concern. Secretary Asper? Can I, yeah. I just, can I just yeah. get one clarification just to make sure here, because you never know. And I, I'm wondering how many officials in Washington are going through their things, Secretary, to make sure that they, they don't have documents. You have handled classified information for decades. Have you taken a look, excuse me, in your home, to make sure that you don't have documents anywhere or in your offices or in your possession? Yeah, look, I've, I've had a security clearance since the age of 18, and we handle it very, very diligently at DOD, and I'm, I'm confident I have no documents. I, you know, when I left office last year, uh, uh, the few boxes I went through, I went through quickly, and my staff was very diligent about these things, so I'm confident that's not the case. Thank you, Secretary. It was a pleasure. Appreciate you joining. Thank you. Thank you. A new study looks at the patterns of people who commit acts of mass violence, what most of these attackers have in common. We will tell you ahead. Welcome back to CNN This Morning. There is a new mass study and it finds that most, there is a new study that finds that most mass shooters have something in common. They have usually suffered a major setback in life. This report looked at 173 mass casualty incidents between 2016 and 2020 and it found that most attackers experienced a significant personal change in the year before they carried out that attack. Fascinating. Our Whitney Wilde joins me with more. Whitney, good morning. What else can you tell us? Good morning to you. Well, as they, they share this basically major life setback in the year before the attack, uh, attackers also frequently display concerning or threatening behavior uh, in the years prior to actually committing an attack. And these behaviors are often noticed and reported by people closest to them. Uh, again, this uh, includes in the year before the attack, a significant personal challenge that can include a financial problem, a family problem, a health problem. 
Interestingly, the motivations varied, but half of the attackers were motivated, at least in part, by some kind of grievance. And while behaviors are similar, there's no standard demographic profile. So let's look at the demographics here. About half of the attackers were white. Uh, 34% were black, two-thirds of the attackers had a criminal history, and notably, 73% of the attackers used firearms. And when we look across the spectrum of for whom this information is so important, Poppy, what the data really shows is that this is affecting every sector of society. Uh, The head of the National Threat Assessment Center for the Secret Service pointed out that they are hearing from uh, people who are eager for this information and eager for training. They train tens of thousands of people across the spectrum every day. That includes uh, people who represent a range of groups like law enforcement, major sports leagues major sports teams, and they concluded by saying simply, to combat this issue, it takes buy-in from all levels, and it takes the money and the people to actually respond, Poppy. That falls upon all of us. Back to you. It certainly does. Uh, That is fascinating, Whitney. Thank you very much for explaining it to us. Uh, Coming up, we've got a new CNN poll about how the American people, how you feel about the appointment of special counsel to investigate classified documents found at President Biden's home. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Did you take any classified documents with you from the White House? Uh, I I did not. Uh, Well, yes, you did. Good morning, everybody. Caitlin's on assignment. Poppy and I are here. Without classified documents. Without any classified, that we know of. More classified documents have been discovered at the home of the former Vice President Mike Pence. This time, though, it is not Joe Biden. As I said, it is a former Vice President leaving lawmakers stunned. Also breaking overnight, a significant development for the war on Ukraine. The German government announcing plans to deliver Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine. The U.S. delivering tanks as well. This could be a game changer in the war with Russia. And this is a big story that we're following from the southwest to New England. More than 80 million people are facing winter weather alerts. Some cities are expected to get hit by nearly a foot of snow. Plus this. Tensions running very high after the beating death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of Memphis police, what a new autopsy is revealing. Lots to report to you this morning, but we're going to begin with that massive and dangerous winter storm on the move after pummeling Texas with a tornado. Officials in the Houston area calling the destruction catastrophic. It flattened buildings and ripped off roofs. But amazingly, so far, no reported deaths at this hour. The tornado was so powerful, it picked up huge trailers and RVs and tossed them through the air. One homeowner who survived the tornado came outside to find this giant RV on top of her pickup truck in the driveway. Look at that. Crazy. And this morning, Alabama and Florida, the Florida panhandle, are on high alert for more tornadoes. And from the southwest all the way to New England, more than 80 million Americans are under under winter storm alerts. Adrian Broadus in Chicago covering all of this for us. Hello, Adrian. Some of the heaviest snow expected to hit the Midwest. 
It is. It's a sight to behold, but it can be dangerous. Here in Chicago, I want to show you, we are expected to get about two to four inches. Take a look. I hope you appreciate my handwriting here in the snow. This is something we haven't been able to do that much here in Chicago, but across the country, the snowfalls have already been predicted. For example, in Arkansas, for those of you who are able to see, I want you to take a look at your screen. In Arkansas, at least 12 inches. In some parts of Texas, up to 10 inches. Also in New Mexico, eight inches. And this as a result of that winter weather advisory that is blanketing much of the Midwest. For example, I told you how much snow we're expected to get here in Chicago, but that winter weather advisory is taking place for the next 14 hours. It's in effect, at least in Kansas, Chicago, Columbus. There's also a winter storm warning in St. Louis, Missouri, Indianapolis, Detroit and Cincinnati, Don. All right. Adrian brought us on top of this story for us. We'll continue to follow. Thank you, Poppy. Also, this breaking overnight, a major development in the war in Ukraine. After weeks of pressure from Western allies, Germany has announced it will send those Leopard 2 tanks to the war zone. Let's go to our Natasha Bertrand for more. Huge news, right, Natasha, for Ukraine? Yeah, this could be extremely significant, especially considering that Ukraine is planning to launch a counteroffensive in the spring uh, to kind of beat back the Russians and gain more of their territory back. So what we're told is that really this diplomatic logjam between the U.S. and Germany uh, has broken. And it comes as a result of a week of negotiations between the U.S. and Germany over how to get to this point where Germany would send its leopard tanks as well as allow other European countries to send their stocks of leopard tanks to Ukraine as well as the U.S. sending our own stocks uh, of our Abrams tanks to Ukraine. And what we're told is that the U.S. essentially came to uh, some kind of an agreement with Germany here. Germany had said that they would not send their tanks unless the U.S. also sent them because they did not want to be seen as out of lockstep with their allies and particularly with the United States. So now what we're seeing is Germany, uh, after really months of diplomatic pressure from international allies, from uh, the European uh, countries who want to send their own tanks. They are finally agreeing to send around 14 leopard tanks to Ukraine. Ukraine, of course, uh, very grateful for these because given uh, our reporting that Russia is going to be launching their own offensive in the spring, these tanks could be uh, very uh, game-changing for the Ukrainians in terms of breaking through those Russian defensive lines and, again, taking back a lot of their territory, Poppy. Natasha Bertram reporting for us in Washington. Thank you very much. And this morning, a call for justice in Memphis, Tennessee, over the death of Tyree Nichols. Tensions running high at a city council meeting, demanding the immediate release of the police body camera footage from Nichols' arrest and for the officers to be charged with murder. Nichols was beaten by officers for three minutes on January 7th after they stopped him for reckless driving. Our Shimon Prokopes live in Memphis this morning with more. Shimon, good morning. Preliminary results of an autopsy were released. What are we learning now? Right, that autopsy, Don, was done by the request of the family. The family did their own independent autopsy. And what they found, according to their attorney, Ben Crump, was that uh, Tyree Nichols died from severe bleeding as a result of a beating. Now, Don, I want to take you out here to the scene. This is where it all started. This is the intersection that police say that Tyree Nichols was first stopped by police, and then he ran. There was a pursuit along this road here, all the way just about under a mile near where his mother lives, and that is where ultimately he would die, where 
investigators say police wind up catching up to him. And then something happened. And according to the family, which has viewed body camera footage, they say that he was beaten in that location, ultimately was taken to the hospital where he died. Now, Don, most of what we know about what happened here is not coming from the police. They have refused to release any information, basic questions to the police about were these officers in uniform? What time exactly was Tyree Nichols taken to the hospital? All those questions have remained unanswered by the police. As we know, five officers were fired. Two EMTs here were placed on leave as a result of this incident. And now we wait. We wait for the district attorney to make his decision on whether or not he's going to pursue charges. And of course, ultimately, that video, the body camera footage and other footage that police have done. Uh, can we talk, Shimon, about that emotional, right, fiery uh, community meeting that happened last night? What are residents saying about the body cam not being released? They, they want it done out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. They want it out. They want more information because the police have been refusing to give any information. So they want the body camera footage released. They want other information released. Take a listen at some of the community members who spoke at a city council meeting. As you know, there was a murder that took place here on January the 7th, I believe, Mr. Tyree Nichols, he was he was murdered at the hands of the Memphis police. I am very upset with everybody on this city council because you are our representatives, you are our checks and balances, and not one of you have come out publicly and demanded that that tape that we paid $3 million, correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Wade, when we paid for the body cams, we, the taxpayers, paid for it. This is about transparency. And damn it, we gonna have it or we need a refund on our tax dollars that we pay. The public wants to see what happened. We wanna know, are we really employing people that think it's okay to beat the shit out of folks? What we heard before, we pay for these cameras. We want to see what is going on. Do I wanna see the video? I don't know. I'm a mama too. So many of us are. We're brothers and sisters and children, sons and daughters. But what we do want to see is justice for Tyree and everyone else like him walking these streets. And so, Don, now, this is all in the hands of the district attorney here. We're waiting to hear more from him. He says this video will come out once his investigation is complete, once they're, they're done interviewing witnesses. He says the reason why they don't want to release it is because they don't want to in any way sway witness testimony. If, if they see this video, they may change their testimony. And that is the reason why this video has not been released. But I can tell you, community members certainly are not buying that. They want the information. They want the transparency that they certainly feel they're not getting. And so now, Don, we wait for the DA, and ultimately what he decides in terms of charges for these officers. And Shimon will be following this for us. Shimon, thank you very much. Well, more classified documents have been discovered. Now these at the home of former Vice President Mike Pence, not in Wilmington, Delaware, but in Carmel, Indiana. That is where his home is. An attorney for the former vice president discovering about 12 classified documents in that home. They were immediately turned over to the FBI. The revelation first reported here Late yesterday on CNN, and at least lawmakers on both sides of the aisle just shaking their heads. Lauren Fox on Capitol Hill uh, for us this morning. Lauren, another former vice president, another set of classified documents. 
Yeah, lawmakers both surprised and stunned yesterday at this news. Lisa Murkowski telling me just wow when she heard the revelations. Mark uh, Warner, who is the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, he reacted, holy heck. And then he told reporters, quote, I would have thought that a year ago, when this started coming, that anyone who had one of these jobs would go back and check. Check your closets, he implored folks uh, who have held these jobs as the president, as the vice president. You know, lawmakers are now weighing, is there something they need to do? Is there an investigation that needs to happen? Is there some kind of legislative solution? You heard Lindsey Graham yesterday talking about the fact that perhaps this country has an overclassification problem. Here's what he said. I don't know how this happened. We need to get to the bottom of it. I don't believe for a minute that Mike Pence is trying to intentionally compromise, compromise national security. I think that about Biden and Trump, but clearly we've got a problem here. So hopefully when this is all said and done, maybe we're overclassifying things. That may be part of the problem. But count me in for getting this fixed. And one of the concerns that lawmakers have up here on Capitol Hill is the fact that when they look at classified documents, they do so in a skiff. Mark Warner told me he never has looked at a classified document outside of a skiff, outside of a secure location on Capitol Hill. I think that is one of the reasons why lawmakers are so stunned about how this could be happening. Yeah, of course. I think we all are, Lauren. Thank you very much for the reporting. So there's a new poll out on all of this. It shows that the majority of Americans approve of the appointment of a special counsel to investigate classified documents found at President Joe Biden's residence. We want to note that this poll was conducted before the revelations of Mike Pence and his classified documents. So joining us now with the numbers, CNN political director and host of CNN Political Briefing podcast, that is Mr. David Chalian. Good morning, Mr. Chalian. Good morning, guys. So what do Americans think here? Yeah, uh, you just showed that number, that first top line number, just huge, right? The vast majority of Americans, 84%, approve of the appointment of a special counsel looking into uh, the Biden classified document situation. Only 16% disapprove. Look at that broken out by party. This is something you don't see in American politics very often, guys. Uh, broad agreement, 88% of Republicans approve the appointment of a special counsel. 84% of independents, 80% of Democrats. So that's pretty broad agreement across party lines. We also asked people, how serious of a problem do you think this is? 30% of Americans say very serious, 38% somewhat serious, 27% not too serious, 6% not all. So you've roughly got two thirds of Americans think this is a serious problem, a third say not so. And look at that broken down by party. Among those who think it is a serious problem. This you might expect, right? Republicans, 89% of them think the Biden classified document situation is serious, 68% of independents. But look here, Democrats, a slim majority of them, 54% say this is not serious. 46% of Democrats say it is a serious situation. I'm just wondering though, just a quick question. Do Republicans feel the same way about the Trump documents? As they feel, we're going to get there. Why are, you, why are you getting ahead of our? I didn't, uh, I, 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 get you out of order on your slide. <laughs> Quit, just what are you doing to me, Don? No, that's fine. You I'm wanna, sorry. <laughs> we don't have to go ahead. We don't have to. No. I don't want to get it out of order. Italian can uh, do it. Yeah, I'll show you. I'll show you ahead here. We asked folks um, if indeed they think either president was dealing with. It, illegal behavior, behaved illegally here. And if you ask the country, a majority of Americans, 52%, say Trump's 
situation with the documents. He behaved illegally. Only 37% of Americans uh, say that about Biden. And to your question, Don, look at this by party, okay? You see here, of course, 79% of Democrats think Trump did something illegal. Go to the other side. 64% of Republicans down here think Biden did something illegal. But I think what is really fascinating, look at their own partisans. So only 8% of Democrats think Biden has done something illegal. Okay, you might expect that. But a quarter of Republicans, 25%, think that Trump did something illegal. So there is more belief that Trump did something illegal here across the board than did Biden. That is really fascinating. I'm going to get you back on track on your slides <laughs> That's okay, now. Sorry. I, you think- I can jump around however you want. <laughs> we know you can. But, but I, I wonder, though, David, what you just showed us has to do a lot with how Americans feel about how the Biden White House has responded to this versus yeah. how the Trump... Uh, team, no longer the White House, but the Trump team, uh, lack of immediate response, shall we say. Well, let's just look at the Biden situation. How has this White House handled this? 57% of Americans disapprove of the handling of this situation uh, from the, the Biden White House. When you look at that by party, as you would expect, 85% of Republicans disapprove of the way Biden's handled it. 62% of independents but only 26% of Democrats. Again, it's not an insignificant chunk of his own party. It's a quarter of it, of his own party that disapproves of his handling. But the vast majority of Democrats mm-hmm. think Biden has handled it well. And I'll just show you guys, in terms of impact on Biden's overall standing, yeah. we're not seeing much of it. Mm-hmm. His approval rating overall, 45%. That's about where it was in December before any of this uh, came to light. So we're not seeing an actual political damaging moment necessarily for him. Mm-hmm. And look at where Biden sizes up among his modern era predecessors with that 45% approval. He's right here between Clinton, who was at 47%, got elected to a second term. Carter, at this point in his presidency, was at 43%. We know he did not get elected uh, to a second term. Uh, Biden's sitting right there between them. It's, it, uh, are you in my text messages? I was going back and forth with, you know, LZ L- Granderson, right, yesterday yep, about, sure. I was like, this isn't going to affect his approval rating. The diehard Biden supporters, my mom, which is one of them, says, I, you know, I want to find out what happened. He shouldn't have had them, but yeah. it does not affect her support for him. That's and she is the church lady who goes to the polls, rain, sleet, snow or shine. And she's going Maybe she's to a vote. respondent in our poll, Don. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> David Chalian, that was very good Thank information. You. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Well, ahead for us, the Fulton County District Attorney in Georgia has revealed that she is weighing whether to bring charges against former President Trump or his associates for their efforts to overturn the election results. In her state, Audie Cornish and the former Lieutenant Governor of Georgia, Jeff Duncan, both here to talk about it. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Welcome back to CNN This Morning. This morning, Atlanta area district attorney Fonnie Willis says decisions on possible charges against former President Trump and his associates are, quote, imminent. She has suggested that a special grand jury is recommending multiple indictments against Trump after investigating his efforts to overturn the state's 2020 election results. Sarah Murray is live in Atlanta with more. Good morning, Sarah. 
Good morning, Poppy. Look, we do not yet know whether the district attorney is actually going to pursue charges, what those charges are going to look like, or who she could pursue charges against. But when she was in court, Fonnie Willis did appear to signal that the special grand jury had recommended criminal charges for someone. You know, she was talking about how the report should be kept under wraps, and she was repeatedly referring to how important it is to protect the rights of future defendants, especially the right of future defendants to get a fair trial. And she said decisions are imminent on whether or not she brings these charges. Now, we don't know exactly what imminent means. It probably doesn't mean overnight, but it does mean that she is working toward making a decision about whether the former president or any of his associates should face criminal charges for these efforts to overturn the 2020 election here in Georgia. Sarah Murray, thank you very much. All right, so let's bring in now the former lieutenant governor of Georgia, Jeff Duncan. He is now a senior political commentator and CNN anchor and correspondent, Adi Cornish. Good morning to Artie Cornish. Good morning to both uh, of you. He just <laughs> added. He just added a little bit of something on it's the end a there. A little fanciness here. Um, thank you for joining us. I want to ask you because you're a witness in the grand jury probe um, of Fannie Willis. I want to talk to you about that and what's going to happen. But let me just ask you about these documents that we are, have been reporting about. What is your take on this? We had the former defense secretary on, and everyone is sort of saying, you know different things about different folks. What do you think about Mike Pence? Well, the system's broken for checking documents out. I mean, that's obvious. And so I think we need to figure out a way to tighten that up for just national security purposes. But it, it's cringeworthy, right? I'm sure Mike Pence, when he answered that question on TV a few weeks ago, he honestly believed he didn't have any documents in his possession. But unfortunately for him, he did. And now he's got to un unwind those statements. And, uh, you know, I, I think from a political standpoint, it, it's kind of negated the issue uh, as far as having the documents. Now, the reaction to that, I mean, that's really the visceral response that Trump had versus President Biden and now Vice President Pence. Who works with the authorities? Who is quick to say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have had those? And who isn't, I think, is what the public eye is going to judge. You think, there is a, you think the public sees a difference and they're able to calculate the difference in, in these? Yeah, I mean, yes, to some extent, but I do think it's political partisan corners are going to take each side and one's going to defend the other. And that's really kind of what's wrong with where we're at today. Everybody's chasing 10 second sound bites to try to pick on the other team instead of standing up and talking about the fact that the futures are down a couple hundred points again today. More people in America are worried about their job being being, you know, having a job tomorrow than they are about these documents. Uh, that's where I think the real leadership and the real opportunity for Republicans going forward is to really tackle these big, tough issues. So, so let's let's talk about what's going on here, because at, you were one of, what, 75 witnesses uh, <clears throat> that testified over seven months to this Georgia grand jury. And Fonnie Willis, as Sarah reported, is saying, don't put it out there. Don't put this out there for public transparency. Media organizations, including CNN, want it out there for public transparency. You have an interesting take on the DA's tone and what it indicates about how soon we may see indictments. Yeah, Fonnie, yesterday I listened to her reaction in the courtroom to Judge McBurney. Uh, her wanting to keep the record uh, report sealed for the time being to, to kind of preserve the integrity of her investigation. She was serious. Uh, I read that as the, 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 the indictments that are going to come down are going to be measured in, in, in days and not weeks. I think it's very eminent. And look, this grand jury worked hard. There's 75 witnesses that came forward. And when I sat in that room, there was 23 jurors that were well prepared to ask a lot of tough questions. Uh, fortunately, I felt like I had honest, authentic answers. And I was on the right side of history during all those events. But they did their work. Yeah. Everyone is looking to this. They're saying, but funny, Willis, you know, this may be the one thing finally that holds the former president mm -hmm. accountable. 
Where do you stand on that? Right. I mean, I understand that there is a, a kind of hunger for that symbolism. Is it possible to prosecute a former president, a president? Like, what is the sort of standard? What are the venues where that is possible? We don't have an answer to that yet. Well, we do know that Georgia is important to watch because there's specific crime. There are statutes that you can look at and say this was violated. We have this phone call that the president made that was very straightforward. And they were able to do things that the January 6th committee couldn't do. The people who blew off testimony, all of a sudden they had to sit in that room before the grand jury. Such it's a, a different ball game, And that's why this thing is important. I don't know if we need to see that report before they, yeah. you know, hand down their indictments, but this is a different case to look at. Let, let's take a look at, because Brookings, which is, you know, bipartisan, um, laid out, took a deep dive on this investigation, laid out some of the possible charges we could see. Solicitation to commit election fraud, intentional interference with the performance of election duties, interference with primaries and elections, conspiracy to commit election fraud. And then with Fannie Willis, who I find so fascinating, the way she's used racketeering to go after a number of uh, people in the state of Georgia, uh, in terms of uh, enterprise engaging in criminal conduct, in terms of the big standardized test and school takedown that she did, they're saying that she could bring racketeering charges potentially. I mean, I think you know better than ever, like racketeering charges can be used in many different yeah. contexts. It'll be interesting to see if that is a potential charge here, but it does speak to the idea that um, the former president did not act alone in his activities around the 2020 election. And I think one other thing I want to mention is the atmosphere in Georgia politically is very different. The lieutenant governor can speak to this. Brian Kemp very much was not going down the road of election denialism. So I think that there is this kind of leeway where if someone is doing an objective, um, it's a not political process, it's like this criminal process, that I think the public will have a slightly different view of it. Maybe uh, you can tell me if that's right or no, I, I think you're spot on. I mean, the political climate is to just be on a fact-finding mission. And as long as Fonnie Willis continues to be on that journey of finding facts, it is interesting that there's three unique lanes that are being investigated. Most folks focus on the phone call, the dreaded phone call that was just cringeworthy with Brad Raffensperger. But there's also this whole basket of conspiracy theories and this deluge of misinformation. And if they're going to use the racketeering charge, they're going to be able to see, was it an intentional coordinated effort to mislead the population to try to re-steer the election. Then there's also a third lane of this fake electorate crowd, right? What, and how involved was Trump right, how in involved, soliciting and, them? And the reality is he was involved in all three of those. And is there enough facts to get over the hump to, to Did you pass get the sense indictment? that the January 6th committee information was informing what this investigation? I don't know if, from yeah, your own testimony I, I, experience. I think it definitely validated the lanes to pursue. And, you know, like I said, I mean, there were 75 witnesses that ranged all the way from, you know, lieutenant governors like me all the way up through folks that worked in the White House every day that were living and breathing inside the Oval Office. I, we've got to run, but I want to ask you, do you think the, the former president will be indicted? Mm -hmm. I think there's enough information for him to be indicted. Are you concerned about violence? Uh, I'm always concerned about violence, but I think the, the, the tone and tenor in Georgia is that uh, most folks don't believe the election was rigged. They do believe he overstepped his boundaries, and I don't believe there'll be any sort of violence. Thank you both. Yeah, Appreciate you. it. Thank, Thank you so much. Very much. Well, ahead, a former New York gynecologist who has been accused of luring and sexually assaulting women to his office. Well, he has been convicted. One of his former patients, a very brave Evelyn Yang, who spoke out. Now he's been held accountable. She's here with us live. Welcome back, everyone, to CNN This Morning. Coming up, the country's largest private employer is now raising wages, but some say it is just not enough. 
and what the superintendent of Fairfax County Schools is now saying about the merit commendations being withheld for students. And California Governor Gavin Newsom speaks about out about three mass shootings and three in three days in his state. Prosecutors call him a predator in a white coat, and now a disgraced former gynecologist has been convicted of luring four women to his New York office in order to sexually assault them. But the accusations against Robert Hayden go well beyond those four victims. Dozens of other women accuse him of sexual abuse, including minors and pregnant women. But he cut a plea deal on many of those accusations years ago. CNN reported extensively on him in 2020, including this from our late investigative correspondent, Drew Griffin. Dr. Robert Haddon served no jail time for his crimes. He cut a deal with the DA's office in New York. Patients weren't told the OBGYN they were seeing had been accused of sex crimes. And in the weeks that followed, two of those patients would become his next alleged victims. Evelyn Yang was one of them. You saw Evelyn Yang there. She is the wife of former Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang. She gave an exclusive interview to Ardana Bash about what she endured at the hands of Haddon. Brace yourself. It is very hard to hear. I was in the exam room and I was dressed and ready to go. And then at the last minute, he kind of made him like an excuse. He said something about, I think you're, you might need a C-section. And he proceeded to um, grab me over to him and undress me and examine me uh, internally, ungloved. And at first, I was a little bit like, what's going on here? And there was no one else in the room? Um, in fact, when I think back to most of our exams, I don't think there was somebody in the room. Yeah. You, you thought to yourself, this isn't just inappropriate banter. This is much different. Oh, he, I mean, I, at that moment, I knew that was, I knew it was wrong. I mean, I, I knew, I said, I knew I was being assaulted. Haddon will be sentenced in April. He was convicted on four counts and each carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. And Evelyn Yang is here now, as well as our chief political correspondent, Dana Bash, who withdrew, really brought this to light, all three of you guys. So thank you very much for being here. Evelyn is also the author of the book, a kid's book about sexual abuse. So yeah. thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I know you, you barely slept. Um, <laughs> it's almost three years to the day that you sat down with Dana and that we were all stunned watching your story. To see the conviction, what does it mean? Oh my gosh, I've been waiting for this day for a, um, a really long time. And I think it was such a victory for every woman involved. Every Haddon survivor, I think now can rest easier knowing that finally um, this man has been brought to justice. You were sitting in the courtroom. Yeah. Um, when the verdict came down and you were sitting alongside other victims yes. and the reporting from the courtroom is they heard, you know, there were quiet sobs when <sighs> some this loud, yeah, some mean, loud, it was a lot of tears. And I think we were just all holding it in, um, holding it in for the duration of the trial, certainly. But 
even for longer. It's just this weight that we've all been carrying for a long time. This was a really long fight for you mm -hmm. because you worked really closely with what was Cy Vance's DA's office here in New York. Um, and you were told, we're, basically, we're going to take this guy down, you know. And then there was this plea deal. Right. And you weren't even part of the plea deal. Right, right. And we so had to no see say. this. We had no say in what kind of plea deal uh, he was taking. And in fact, didn't know about it until after the fact, mm -hmm. until it was all done. And it was a disappointment, for sure. Um, and I think this is why we were uh, all a little cautiously optimistic that the verdict would be, po would be positive in this case. Um, and so we were all gripping each other, literally, very tightly as the jury, uh, the jury came back in. Um, and when we heard the words guilty, we all <laughs> let out this collective sigh of relief and um, a lot of tears, yeah. Dana, let me, let me bring you in because it's the work you and, and our, our, our dear friend, um, Drew Griffin, who we lost a month ago. Um, it's, it's the work you did to bring this to the world. Well, it's the work that, that Evelyn yeah. and, uh, and her attorney and, and all of the women who came out afterwards did. I, I can now say, Evelyn, I hope I'm not uh, breaching any confidentiality, but I, I just want to say about, uh, kind of give you some insight about how this happened. It was, I think it was Christmas Eve of 2019, and I'd met you in Iowa on the campaign trail, and you called me and you said, I just texted you a story. And I read the story about this plea deal that you're referring to, and you said, I am one of those anonymous women. I, I was assaulted by this man when I was pregnant. And we talked for a while, and you said you wanted to come forward, but it was understandably very hard. And I was taking the train to New York to do the interview, and it was touch and go, again, understandably, because it was so emotional. And it was one of the hardest things that I've witnessed somebody do, which is to go there and to bring back all of the trauma, real trauma that you experienced. And, uh, and you did it. And you did it because you knew that this was important, not just for you, but for so many other women. And then, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, but since then, that was about three years ago, I mean, we just, with Drew Griffin's amazing reporting, our team, uh, Nellie Black and Patricia DiCarlo, we saw woman after woman come out. How many women now that we know of hundreds are, are survivors? Upwards of hundreds. 350, 350 women, right? And we believe that there are more. Um, a lot of women actually still don't know. His former patients to this day don't know that he's a now twice convicted sex felon. Um, and there's still work to be done on that front, actually. Uh, Columbia and the hospital still has some work to do in terms of notifying uh, previous patients. Um, and, you know, every time I do an interview, more women come forward. And one of the first questions they ask is, how did I not know about this? Because he's, mm. he's, he's now, uh, he's been a known predator for, for many years. Um, but I really credit, thank you, I want to say thank you, Tana. And to your team um, for creating the space for me um, to come forward. As you mentioned, it was an agonizing decision. Um, and I, I think you probably recall me canceling and rescheduling. <laughs> I may remember that. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, I yeah. understand. It, but I, I have no regrets. Um, I, I think 
the reason why I agonize over the decision is, uh, you know, you just can't predict how um, the public opinion will, mm-hmm. um, will, will treat you, especially women and uh, minority women um, in cases of sexual assault. Um, but I don't have any regrets because as soon as I came forward, you know, hundreds of women felt at ease to come forward as well. And that in itself was a big deal. But the journey um, that led to this day and this verdict, I think, was a collective effort. You know, so many of the women who came forward after me became incredible self-advocates and advocates for others. And we were able to um, pass the Adult Survivors Act um, in May, which actually opens up the window for all survivors of sexual assault in the state of New York um, to file a case in court, uh, no matter when the assault happened. So this will Mm -hmm. affect not just Haddon survivors, but sexual assault survivors, um, you know, everywhere. And Poppy, can I just yeah, say one course. more thing, please, briefly? The, the, this is such a testament to the notion of, of sharing stories, even when they're hard, and what an impact it can have. And uh, that certainly happened uh, with Evelyn. It's also a testament to shoe leather, shoe leather reporting. And I, I just have to say that I, I hope that our late colleague, Drew Griffin, this is hard, sorry, is, is smiling from heaven yeah. that uh, one of the many, many stories that he worked on uh, it has had such an impact to bring what we do, what we want to do at the end of the day in our jobs, which is uh, shine a light on things, and in this case, justice. And his reporting brought justice to Evelyn and hundreds of other women. It really did. It is, as you know so well, Dana, the core of who Drew was to this world and to all of us. Um, And we are every day grateful for what he did. Um, Dana, you're reporting, too. You told it in a way that only you could. So thank you. Thank you. Dana, Evelyn. Thank you, Evelyn. Thank you, Evelyn. You are brave beyond words. Your kids are always going to be so proud of mom for, for doing this. And getting the Adult Survivors Act passed was huge. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Don. Thank you all for sharing that really appreciated, important story. In the meantime, let's talk about what's happening when it comes to the economy and the country's biggest retailer, Walmart, raising its minimum wage. But some employees say it's too little, too late. Our Hal Solomon is here to explain. And Virginia's governor wages a new battle in the culture war. Schools failing to notify students of prestigious recognitions uh, as they apply for college. The Fairfax County School Superintendent responds exclusively on CNN. This idea of a, a golden ticket, as it is called, um, was withheld from them. To characterize that as a golden ticket um, would not be accurate. More CNN this morning to come after the break. So America's largest private employer raising its minimum wage. Walmart, which has long been criticized by labor groups for low pay, announced Tuesday that it is bumping its starting pay rate to $14 
an hour. Interesting. Joining us now, CNN Business Correspondent Rahel uh, Solomon. Uh, Rahel, thank you for joining us. What is behind this? To be here. So this is all about demand. Demand, demand, demand for workers, for these type of hourly workers. So uh, the company's saying in its memo, this is to ensure we have attractive pay in the markets we operate. And guys, I know we sit up here and talk about layoffs practically every week, but that is pretty specific to industries like technology, some of the banks, some of the media companies as well. But for uh, the larger economy, it's still a very strong labor market and demand for these type of hourly workers is still very strong. Andy Challenger, who runs the uh, outplacement firm Challenger Gray and Christmas, saying in a comment, the labor market remains competitive, particularly at this level. Hourly workers are still hard to find and companies are continuing to compete for them by raising wages. Federal minimum wage is about to go up from $7.25 an hour to a little over 9 bucks an hour soon. Um, so this would track that, be above that. But um, it, Target, Amazon, they've all already done this, right? Right. So we can show you sort of how this compares to some of the other competitors. Walmart's still on the lower end of this starting range. So again, uh, Walmart's saying 14 bucks for that works out to 14 to 19 for most workers, an average of 17.50. But you can see on your screen how that compares to some of its other competitors. And to this point, this is why some are still saying this isn't far enough. One statement that was sent to me from a nonprofit group saying it seems like Walmart executives are finally listening to what Walmart associates have been saying for years that we need higher wages to make ends meet in today's economy, but a higher poverty wage isn't enough. While today, meaning yesterday, announcement is a step forward. It's late by a few years, actually, and short by at least 10 bucks. Look, any amount more is important for Absolutely. these workers. Let's see what this And means. that's a great point. Yeah. They will see this in their March 2nd paycheck, okay. so they'll see this soon. Thank you. Hell, thank you very much. Well, for the first time since the National Merit Awards controversy began in Virginia, the Fairfax County School Superintendent is speaking out exclusively to CNN. Multiple high schools there delayed notifications to students about their merit scholarships, but called it human error. Parents and other critics say that the lapse was intentional, and the state attorney general is investigating the matter. And for that, we turn to CNN's Athena Jones. Morning. Good morning to you. So what's the latest? What do you know? Good morning. Well, you mentioned the state attorney general investigating this matter. We know he's having a press conference this afternoon about investigations. So we're going to be asking his office if this is going to be coming up. Are we going to get an update on that? Uh, meanwhile, we sat down with Superintendent Reed, who wanted to set the record straight about what happened and assure the community they are making changes to ensure this does not happen again. A battle over national merit honors is shaking up Virginia school districts. To characterize that as a golden ticket, um, would not be accurate. Fairfax County Public School Superintendent Michelle Reed, in her first media interview, responding to criticism from Governor Glenn Youngkin, who campaigned on changing education in Virginia. Youngkin slamming dozens of high schools for failing to notify students their PSAT scores won them commendations as part of the annual National Merit Scholarship Competition. It impacts their ability to apply to college for scholarships. And, uh, and this idea of a, a golden ticket, as it is called, um, was withheld from them. We didn't receive it until November 21st uh, after the deadline had passed for early admissions and early acceptance. So we don't know. I mean, we're still waiting to hear back from colleges. Uh, we've gotten a few rejections. The governor arguing the commendations were withheld intentionally to avoid hurting the feelings of students who didn't win recognition. They have a maniacal focus on equal outcomes for all students at all cost. What I mean when I talk about equal outcomes is the opportunity for each and every student to achieve their unique potential. Part of the thing that's got so many parents up in arms, this idea that this wasn't human error, this, that this was a, 
an intentional effort. What is your response to that, that accusation? We celebrate each and every one of our students' unique contributions and achievements, and there is absolutely no division-wide effort to withhold recognition or not to honor hard work um, and achievement. Virginia's attorney general now investigating high schools across Fairfax County after eight of them delayed telling students they had been commended, including Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology, the top-ranked high school in the country. We did initiate a third-party external review into the situation. In a letter to the community, Reed said the delay was likely due to human error. We committed to contacting all the colleges and universities of the early action, early decision schools that otherwise our commended scholars might not have had that information to notify. Lost in this war of words, students who were recognized with a commendation are actually out of the competition for national merit scholarships. I think I might have even like thrown it away because I, I didn't really think much of it. I didn't put it like anywhere in my like honors section for college apps. Now, Governor Glenn Youngkin has proposed legislation in the General Assembly to require that schools notify commended students immediately. A superintendent Reed's office is already drafting division-wide guidance to do, to do just that so this won't happen again. They're also going to try to work with the National Merit Scholarship Corporation to implement a layered notification strategy, you know, emails, some kind of system to make sure this information gets to these students. So they're trying okay. to figure it all out. Thank you, Athena. Thanks. Appreciate that. Straight ahead, what we're learning about the moment actor Jeremy Renner was crushed by a snowplow in the attempt to save his nephew. And we all know, I feel this way sometimes, flying can be scary, but one flight attendant has gone viral for going way above and beyond to calm one passenger's nerves, and he joins us live next hour. Good morning. 80 million Americans under a winter storm alert as the threat of snow and tornadoes moves 2,000 miles across the country. As California reels from three mass shootings in three days, Governor Gavin Newsom calling out Republicans over guns in a new CNN interview. We want the tape. We want the footage now. This is about transparency. And damn it, we going to have it or we need a refund on our tax dollars. <laughs> Sir, sir, we, we've provided the opportunity to talk. Is there tensions high in Memphis where a black man died after a beating by five police officers, the community demanding to see the tape, which the family's lawyer compares to Rodney King. And new evidence that the most powerful people in government apparently have a habit of taking their work home. What the classified discoveries inside of former Vice President Mike Pence's home mean for the investigation into two presidents. And breaking this morning, Germany will join the U.S. in sending tanks to Ukraine, and Russia is warning those tanks will burn. CNN This Morning starts right now. As you can see, it's a very, very busy news day here. We're going to start, though, with that massive and dangerous winter storm barreling east after unleashing a powerful tornado near Houston. No reported deaths, but local officials are calling the destruction catastrophic. The tornado flattened buildings and homes. It was so powerful, it picked up RVs and threw them. We're hearing harrowing stories from survivors. We just all ran to the restrooms and just watched the whole building fall. Luckily, the restrooms didn't fall. That's the only thing that kept us alive. I don't get scared of much, but that's probably the scariest thing I've ever been through in my whole life. She got the notice on her phone from our security camera, and she looked at it, and the neighbor called, said a tornado hit the house. I was like, all right, well, let's, let's go see what's going on. 
and we round the corner and the house is gone. So the whole top section of the house is completely ruined. So it's toast. The house will be torn down now. So kind of hard to take, but hey, we're alive. And that's the main thing. You want to see how dangerous it is? Oof. Look at your screen right now. This is a gas line on fire in the middle of all the wreckage. Emergency responders say they were slammed with 911 calls for gas leaks and building collapses. We have uh, all hands on deck right now, uh, all our neighborhoods, just not this neighborhood, all throughout Pasadena, the tornadoes touched here, touched there, and we're doing everything we can to make sure all our citizens are safe. I'm gonna tell you, my 25 years here, this is probably the worst damage that I've seen, um, just catastrophic. Seeing as Rosa Flores on the ground for us in hard-hit Pasadena, Texas, you have been seeing the damage there. Tell us about it, please, Rosa. Hey, you know, Don, there were so many intense moments. That's what the people here say. And we're on the path of that destruction. I want you to look over my shoulder because what you're seeing here is some of the down power lines at the height of the storm. And you can see that the power, some of the power poles were snapped like toothpicks at the height of this storm. About 100,000 customers were without power. Now, if you look beyond these power lines, you'll see that there's a mangled mess back there. Uh, that's actually a gym. The owner of that gym telling KHOU, a CNN affiliate, that at the time of this storm, there were four people that were inside the gym. They were actually exercising and they all ran to the bathroom. And the owner described just the chaos, the loud noises of just the, the metal. Um, and, and as you might imagine, there's a lot of equipment. There's, there's a lot of stuff inside a gym where all of that was moving around. A lot of very intense moments. Now, the owner, of course, said, yes, this is a lot of loss of property. But Don, he is counting his blessings because he and all of the other patrons inside his gym are safe this morning. And that's the big takeaway here is local officials are saying, thank goodness that nobody died. Yeah, thank Don. goodness. Rosa, thank you so much. 70 million people under these winter weather alerts all across the country this morning. Which areas are going to be impacted the most? Let's bring in our meteorologist, Chad Myers. What are we looking at? Well, we're looking at a foot of snow into parts of Arkansas, and that snow got on tree limbs and brought power lines down. Over 150,000 customers without power in that area, and it's still snowing off toward the east and toward the northeast. So Indianapolis, all the way up toward Toledo. That's will be the that'll be the middle of the cone, if we want to call it, the heaviest snowfall, the intense bullseye of where the snow is falling now and where it will continue to fall throughout the day. We have snow in Detroit, in Cleveland, in Pittsburgh. Very difficult to travel around Pittsburgh in those hills with snow coming down at this rate and the snow continues to come down. Snow in Chicago. Had a picture out of Chicago earlier of the snow coming down in downtown. It's actually coming down harder right now than it has for much of the day. So that's what we're going to be seeing. This heavy snow piling up one inch on top of another and many areas from Indianapolis about five to six right through Toledo probably closer to eight and then on up into Ontario and Quebec. On the other side on the tornado side, the severe weather side, we've had 14 tornadoes yesterday, two this morning, 16 total. So now we're still adding up that damage. And there are more storms that are going to try to convincingly just spin across the Gulf Coast and then move on shore either with a water spout or even some tornado warnings are likely today. Farther to the north, wow. we will see the rain into New York City. We'll see the snow to the north, and that's what we expect for the rest of the day. Guys. A lot of people have to brace themselves. Chad, thank you very much. We do have significant breaking news this morning in the uh, war on Ukraine. The German government 
has officially announced that it will deliver Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine after weeks of pressure from allies. This comes after two officials tell CNN the United States is also finalizing plans to send about 30 Abrams tanks to Ukraine as well. Russia has vowed to destroy any military equipment that is supplied to Ukraine. Uh, the British Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, praising the move, calling it the right decision by NATO allies. He tweeted, together we are accelerating our efforts to ensure Ukraine wins this war and secures a lasting peace. Coming up, we'll be joined by Richard Haas, the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, a veteran diplomat, about all of these developments. We're looking forward to that. In the meantime, in California, the governor there, Gavin Newsom, calling out Republicans for blocking gun safety laws after three mass shootings in his state in as many days. Newsom, not mincing words, telling CNN Republican obstruction is contributing to the country's gun violence crisis. We need the federal government to do its job. This is on everybody. We've chosen this. This is our decision to live in these conditions. It doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. So we've chosen this. We've accepted this. We can sit there and say thoughts and prayers, or we can look in the mirror and say, this is the price, I guess, of whatever. Fill in the blank. Freedom? This is the price? I guess. Freedom? Freedom from what? To have your kid only do six or seven drills? to hide under the desk each and every year as opposed to two or three? Freedom from what? Having complete vulnerability, being anywhere in a crowd, <laughs> dancing with a loved one, a New Year's Eve, Lunar New Year? I mean, what kind of freedom is that? Let's get now to our Kyung Law live in Monterey Park, California for CNN this morning. Kyung, good morning to you. I, I, I first want to talk about the shooting in Half Moon Bay, the gunman accused of killing seven people there, expected to be arraigned today. Take us through that, please. Uh, well, the arraignment of Chun Li Zhao is expected later this afternoon, uh, Eastern Time, 4.30 Eastern Time, Don. And we expect to learn much more about the details, the exact charges that he may be facing, although the district attorney has certainly indicated that it will involve the homicide of these people who were murdered at this mushroom farm. What we do know from investigators at this point is that he didn't just target these victims. He also pursued them, according to uh, what the uh, authorities are telling us. And as far as the connection between all of them, Don and Poppy, it is that they simply work together. He's a former employee of this mushroom farm. Kyung, you are in Monterey Park, California. I mean, it, it is stunning that we're talking about three mass shootings in California in as many days. But you're in Monterey Park, outside of the other mass shooting. And w there are new questions about how long it took police, right, to uh, warned the community when that gunman was still at large after the first shooting at the first dance hall. What are the questions that need to be answered on that this morning? Yeah, the real question that you're talking about, Poppy, is a five-hour gap from when the shooting happened to when the public was first notified in a news conference with authorities that there was a mass shooter on the loose. It took five hours for the public to be notified. There weren't any shutdowns immediately, so that's a concern here. Now, the sheriff did say at a news conference on Monday that the information was handled judiciously, strategically, and that he believes it paid off. But there are significant questions, Poppy. For sure. Kyung Law, thank you for your continuing reporting on this. Meantime, another, another one. First on CNN, this reporting broke late yesterday that another batch of classified documents has been found, this time in the 
home of former Vice President Mike Pence about a dozen classified documents discovered in his Indiana home last week by his lawyer. Those documents have been returned to the FBI in a letter to the National Archives from Pence's attorney. It says that the former vice president was, quote, unaware of the sensitive or classified documents at his personal residence. It added that Pence, quote, understands the high importance of protecting sensitive documents and classified information and stands ready and willing to cooperate fully with the National Archives and any appropriate inquiry. So... Let's bring in who broke the news, CNN special correspondent Jamie Gangel, who broke this news, as well as CNN White House correspondent MJ Lee. Good morning. I mean, late night was having a field day, Jamie, because, but it's not funny. These are classified documents with potentially very serious national security implications. What more do you know about how they were found? Correct. Look, we've been joking about everyone's now checking their sock drawer, but as you say, This should not have happened. These are marked documents. It appears that the classified documents in the case of former Vice President Mike Pence were packed up from the vice president's residence at the time. So that was a very different system from what they were doing at the White House. I'm told by sources involved with presidential papers and vice presidential papers at the archives <clears throat> that he his staff actually did a very rigorous process at what they did at the White House, but that perhaps what happened at the residence slipped through. So there are four boxes that they had taken with them. First, it was moved to a temporary house in Virginia. Then it was moved to the house in Indiana. Uh, We're told the boxes were taped up, that they had never been gone through, but they weren't kept in a secure location. One point, when they discovered the, the roughly 12 classified documents, they did take those out and put them in a safe until the FBI came and picked them up. Jamie, let me ask you that. Mike Pence was asked uh, about documents from David Muir and basically said, no, I don't have any documents. I didn't take any documents uh, and, you know, that no one should have documents. So how does this square up with what he told David Muir uh, in that interview? So it wasn't just David Muir. He was out on book tour. He was asked this question over and over, and he repeatedly said that he didn't take them. I think in this case, it was inadvertent. It was an honest mistake. He did not think he he had taken them. That said, what it shows is that even someone who had a rigorous process, it doesn't it doesn't always work. Uh, They he did say in one interview that his staff had searched. I asked about that this morning and was told that what they were talking about was originally when they left. The White House, that search happened because how did they then this then miss these four boxes? Uh, yeah, right. Uh, gr- great reporting, Jamie. Uh, really stunning. But stay with us as, as we bring uh, back in MJ Lee. So I'd, MJ, I wonder how the Biden White House feels about it this morning. Yeah, you know, I can tell you the White House is certainly not doing some kind of public victory dance. Uh, But at the same time, when the Pence news broke yesterday, uh, I can tell you that there was sort of this sense of quiet relief. Uh, Because keep in mind, the Biden White House has really been under siege for the last couple of weeks, ever since we learned about the first batch of classified documents, you know, getting asked all these questions about how those documents possibly ended up uh, in Biden's office, in Biden's personal home. 
uh, why the nature of their disclosures have been so drip, drip, drip in nature. And then, of course, the appointment of the special counsel. And yesterday when the Pence news broke, uh, there was sort of this sense that the temperature could potentially come down a little bit for President Biden uh, because this now becomes not only just a Biden-focused story. And I think there are essentially two hopes right now uh, from the Biden White House and Biden allies. Uh, one is just this overall emphasis that it wasn't just uh, Biden's former aides who made the mistake of packing up boxes and having classified documents end up where they shouldn't have. Uh, and second is just uh, emphasizing what they've been trying to do all along, and that is to say it's less sort of the issue of where the documents ended up and that mistakes were made, but more about what these aides uh, and lawyers did once they discovered the documents. And they have really been trying to press the case all along that, look, as soon as these lawyers discovered these documents, they did the right thing by immediately going to the National Archives. So they're really hoping that on both of those fronts, uh, the Pence issue can help them sort of make that case. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see. Are they going to, you know, appoint another special counsel? Because they're going to run oh out gosh, of special counsel. Well, it could be three. Oh Who knows how many other people have, you know, classified documents in their possession? Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, MJ. Appreciate that. And you can read more of Jamie's reporting on the Pence documents. Go to CNN.com. Yes, there's a whole really interesting timeline there yeah. of how this unfolded. Well, Justin Bieber joining a long list of pop stars to sell their music catalogs. We're going to tell you how much he got for them straight ahead. Pretty Penny, a Democratic congressman announcing he will be challenging newly independent Kirsten Cinema for her Senate seat in Arizona. Also acknowledging he's putting his fellow Democrats in a difficult spot on who to support. Congressman Ruben Gallego joins us live on CNN This Morning. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Progressive Congressman Ruben Gallego acknowledging that his entrance into the Arizona Senate race this week has put his fellow Democrats in a difficult spot, saying, I know they're in a very sticky situation, while also defending the decision. If the newly independent Kirsten Cinema decides to run again, Democratic leaders would be forced to choose between standing by Gallego or Cinema, the incumbent who caucuses with Democrats. So the seat carries enormous stakes for Democrats' control of the Senate, leaders from both parties addressing his run. As to whether or not she chooses to run again, it's really her decision. And I think it is a big dilemma for the Senate Democratic majority to decide whether to support her or to support somebody running on the Democratic ticket. Look, Senator Sinema is an excellent Congress member and a Senate member, and she has done a lot of good things here, but it's much too early to make a decision. All right, so joining me now, Democratic Congressman Ruben Gallego of Arizona. Thank you, Congressman. I appreciate you good joining morning. us. Good morning to you. So let me why do it? Why put your party and yourself in this position? Well, because it's not about the party. It's not about myself. It's about the people of Arizona, and they have not gotten good service from Senator Sinema. So why, why then you believe, because there are a number of Senate Democrats who have been reluctant to embrace your candidacy. Are you worried about that? Are you worried about the reluctance on your party? No, um, I have to focus on the voters of Arizona, the people I've known forever, the people I've actually worked for and will continue to work for, the people I'm going to go talk to uh, this week, uh, starting in Tucson, ending up in White River, uh, Arizona. Uh, those are the people that really matter. But you're not you know, happy about little, it, I'm sure. You would prefer that they supported you. 
of course, but look, let's be honest. It's a very sticky situation. You have a, you know, a lot of members over there that have known each other forever. It's a little insider's club. They don't want to start you know, messing around with their, uh, you know, their friends. And you know, we have time. At the end of the day, what matters is I'm going to win because the voters of Arizona want to vote for me. Have you discussed your candidacy with the leader Schumer or Senator Gary Peters? I mean, they run the Senate Democratic Campaign Committee. What did they tell you if you did speak with them? We've been uh, talking to them on a lot of other issues, a lot of legislative issues. We'll always be, uh, have open line of communications, uh, but we're not talking about them uh, about this campaign, uh, not at this point. But we're not afraid to talk to anybody, uh, and we'll be reaching out to them and reaching out to all other political organizations so they know what a strong campaign we're running. Well, listen, the reason I'm asking you about your, the concerns from Democrats so much is because they are defending at least, as you know, 23 seats in 2024, and Arizona's uh, voters are almost uh, evenly split three ways between Democrats, Republicans, and independents. And I just wonder, you know, they favor moderate candidates, by the way. Could your candidacy hand the seat to the GOP? No, actually, my candidacy is probably the only thing that's going to save the seat from the GOP. Kirsten Sinema can't win Arizona anymore. Uh, when you say the, 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 the vote split uh, third, Sinema is polling at 12 to 14 percent. She's lost trust of everybody. And even when there is no Democrat running, she's still losing to a Republican of five points. So over here in kind of D.C. land and La La Land, everyone thinks that she's doing very well. She is not. There's a reason why I'm running. There's a, why, there's a reason why I've been able to you know, raise more than a million dollars uh, in less than 24 hours with, through 27,000 27, individual donors at Gallego for Arizona. It's because she's no longer popular. People know that she can't win, and she's potentially going to give power back to Republicans because she is so unpopular with everybody in Arizona. Look, can we put the last graphic back up? Because I want people uh, to see that when you talked about her polling. And I'm just wondering, there it is. Okay, so there she is as an independent. And I think, you know, she is facing political headwinds, which caused her to make some of the, her recent decisions. I am wondering. No, that's not true. Go on. Don, that's not true. Mark Kelly did not make those recent decisions in terms of how she's voted. Mark Kelly ran as a very strong Democrat and made some you know, great uh, decisions and ended up having one of the largest victories as a Senate, as a Senate candidate. I'm talking about her. I'm not talking about Mark Kelly. I'm saying she is facing political headwinds, is what I'm saying. It caused her to make oh, yeah, some, she's, some she's, recent decisions. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. She, I apologize. Yeah, she's running as an independent because she can't win a primary. Yeah. Uh, she's no longer popular with anybody. Have you spoken to her? No, but that doesn't really matter. But nobody in Arizona has really spoken to her in the last four years. This is why she is where she is. Uh, she hasn't had a town hall in a minimum of three years, at least what we're, we're counting. This is at least, you know, trying to figure out around COVID. Um, you know, she doesn't have meetings with people unless there's uh, checks involved. Uh, she doesn't really have anything unscripted. We hardly see her uh, in Arizona. She has cut off uh, everybody unless you are a big donor. Uh, so... Uh, again, I, I don't really matter in terms of having to speak to her. What matters is that she doesn't speak to Arizonans anymore. She doesn't so actually. So what are you saying? You know, what are you saying to for her? You, you're saying this is just about donors, and it, what are you saying, Congressman? I'm saying that the values uh, of Arizonans do not match uh, anymore with Kirsten Cinema. She cares more about donors. She cares more about what lobbyists think. She cares more about what, what DC thinks, because she doesn't talk to Arizonans anymore. She doesn't go and, and fight for us anymore. She's more likely to fight for pharmaceutical companies than the seniors in Arizona that have to drive all the way to Mexico to get uh, cheap drug prices. Okay. You know, she's more likely to fight for you know, your private uh, equity managers, your hedge fund managers, uh, you know, to make sure they keep their, you know, capital, uh, their, uh, their tax cut uh, instead of trying to make sure that people get, keep their child tax credit. It sounds she like you're saying that she match. is, it sounds like you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that she's bought and paid for by special interests, that she's in it for herself and the money. Is that... 
I mean, that's why I said, what are you saying here? Uh, I mean, exactly that. I mean, I don't think she's in it for the money for herself. I think she's actually, a, you know, a very, uh, you know, upright person when it comes to her personal finances. But she has sold out to big, uh, you know, interests uh, to to do their bidding, to do the bidding of everyday Arizonans. Okay. So listen, uh, then I'm interested in what you have to say about this because last week, you know, there were Davos, right? Cinema and Joe Manchin were on a panel together there. Cinema um, defended her decision to block the filibuster reform. And then high five Manchin over their efforts to block it. Watch this. While some would say that there were reluctant folks working in Congress in the last two years, I would actually say that that was the basis for the productivity for some incredible achievements that made a difference for the American people in the last two years. And we still don't agree on getting rid of the filibuster. That's correct. What do you make of that moment, sir? Well, that moment was during MLK weekend, which is a very important weekend in Arizona because for many years we did not actually have Martin Luther King weekend and got boycotted. Uh, the fact that she's high-fiving, killing the filibuster on MLK weekend when she, has, again, has skipped, and then bragging about killing the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, someone who she claims is, was, his, was her friend, was her mentor, tells you everything about her. Um, she, you know, she doesn't really represent anything. She's just about holding power for those that already have power. Uh, at the end of the day, it's not really about trying to work for the people of Arizona. It's trying to work for the people that have, uh, you know, interests, uh, whether it's in Davos or Wall Street or whether it's in Washington, D.C. I have to ask you about this, <clears throat> what's going on in Washington. I'm sure you've heard about the House Speaker, the new House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, last night announcing that he is keeping or kicking two Democrats off the Intelligence Committee or keeping them off the Intelligence Committee as well. Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell, what do you think of that? Well, this is just like grievance politics that um, that McCarthy is executing right now. He's doing it to basically keep power because I know his members uh, want to keep up. We know that Eric Swallow and, uh, you know, Schiff didn't, have not done anything uh, incorrectly. We know the FBI has clearly stated that Swallow uh, is, has been cleared and did not do anything uh, at all, in, including, you know, Paul Ryan and different speakers before McCarthy, uh, who all have said there's been nothing uh, done uh, incorrectly. Uh, so at one point, this will obviously change. I think McCarthy is going to look like a fool, but he's only doing this to make sure that he can hold power, not because he, these two are somehow some, some kind of threat to national security. If anything, we need them on these committees because they are very bright. They know what they're doing. They have the context that we need. And instead, he's doing this to appease the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world. Yeah. Listen, classified documents are a big issue. Have you um, checked to make sure that you don't have any? Do you have any concerns about yourself? <laughs> so I'm a millennial, uh, so I don't do paper. Uh, I, you know, I always work off uh, electronics, and even then, when it comes to classified uh, information, I only go uh, and read it in a skiff. And when I leave that skiff, everything I leave leave is there. So I'm not concerned about it. Um, I understand what's happening with Vice President Pence and and, and the president. Uh, to me, it seems like it's very inadvertent. I'm glad that they are cooperating. Uh, that's what you should do when you come to this uh, point. Uh, but let's make sure we understand there is a difference between them two. Uh, and pres- uh, former President Trump. Uh, what he is doing was uh, illegal, uh, should continue to be illegal, and he should be uh, held to justice for that. Congressman Gallego, thank you for your time. Have a great day. Th- thank you. Thank you. Well, see, it would be great to have Senator Cinnamon as yeah, well to, to discuss, respond. Yeah. She's welcome so any on, day. Senator, yep. yeah, we'd love to have you. Okay, this morning's number is 200 million. We'll show you why next. And new details this morning about Jeremy Renner's snowplow accident. What we learned from the sheriff's report next.
New details released today in the snowplow accident that injured actor Jeremy Renner on New Year's Day near Reno, Nevada. A sheriff's report says Renner was trying to stop the tractor, like the one you see here, from hitting his nephew, whose truck was stuck in the snow. But it also says the parking brake was not engaged and slid sideways. Quote, when Renner attempted to stop or divert the piston bully to avoid injury to his nephew, he was pulled under the vehicle by the track and run over. 52-year-old Avenger star was airlifted to the hospital with more than 30 broken bones. He is now recovering. Thank goodness he's okay. All right, Justin Bieber has sold his music catalog in what Rolling Stone is calling the largest sale of any artist of his generation. The singer handed over the rights to his publishing and artist royalties to music rights investment company Hypnosis. Bieber joins a growing list of artists choosing to sell their catalogs. You've got him, you've got Justin Timberlake, John Legend, notably Bruce Springsteen, whose entire catalog reportedly went for about half a billion bucks. CNN senior data reporter Harry Enton is here. What's the number? All right, this morning's number is $200 million. That's how much Justin Bieber sold his music catalog to. Not quite Bruce Springsteen level, but still, given how young Justin Bieber is, it's incredibly impressive. And, you know, we've seen a lot of artists been selling their music catalogs lately, so I just want to go through the pros and cons of it. The pros are guaranteed money up front. $200 million would be a nice payday. And it's far easier for estate planning, especially if you're old, let's say, like a Bob Dylan, right? And you have a lot of people you might want to split the estate with. The cons are less money is earned if the artist is successful over the long term. And there is some loss of creative control, which is part of the reason why you, I don't think you'll be seeing Taylor Swift selling her catalog yeah, anytime Yeah, I don't soon. think so. But this me, this is about what he did up until now, not what he does in the correct, future. Correct, Right? So how do we know if it's going to, be good for hypnosis. Yeah, this is, I think, sort of the question, right? And it's sort of a bet that they're making. But if they're looking at the same numbers I'm looking at, they're betting on something like this. Look at the all-time Spotify streams. Look where Justin Bieber is right here on this list. He's at 35 billion. He is sixth on the list. And I think what you're looking at, they're looking at something like this. And they're also looking at his popularity, which is significantly better now than it was four years ago. So they're betting on Bieber being a good long-term. Yes. All right. Good for him. Good for him. Okay. Thanks, Harry. Thank you. A Bieber believer? Sure. Yeah. We are already looking forward to Rihanna headlining the Super Bowl halftime show. And now we're learning who will perform in the pre-show that lineup next. And we have this. After weeks of pressure, Germany announcing it will be sending Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine to help with its war effort. We're going to talk about it with Richard Haas, the president of the Council on Foreign Relations. So we have been telling you this morning about this German, the German government announcing it is sending Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine after weeks of pressure from allies. This comes after two officials tell CNN the U.S. is finalizing plans to send approximately 30 Abrams tanks as well. And Russia has vowed to destroy any military equipment that are supplied to Ukraine. And Ukraine's President Zelensky warning that Russia is preparing for revenge against Ukraine on the battlefield. So joining us now, the author of the new book, The Bill of Obligations, Ten Habits of Good Citizens, which is now out. We're so happy to have him on. Richard Haas, he is the president of the Council on Foreign Relations and a veteran diplomat. Good morning. morning. We're so happy to both of us. We're so happy to have you on this morning. Let's start with what's happening in Ukraine. What do you think of Zelensky's warning there? 
Look, this is, uh, you know, the Germans were reluctant to do this. Ukraine has wanted more arms all along. The United States has been trying to balance helping Ukraine and perhaps not provoking Russia. So I think what we're going to find out is what can Ukraine actually accomplish with these arms? Can it be a military breakthrough? Quite possible it won't. The other what, what it might lead to is something more of a stalemate, and the Russians and the Ukrainians may gradually be inching in the direction where negotiations may become more acceptable. So you think negotiations are not, does this continue this war, you said, is it a stalemate? That, that, yeah. that means a longer war. Longer war, but at some point, if both sides decide that they can't win militarily and the costs of prosecuting the war are too high, too high then that sets up a backdrop potentially, emphasize the word potentially, for, for diplomacy. We'll see, but you that's my guess. Diplomacy would ever agree to? I think it's, like, moment, no. He's worried that anything that looks like a defeat on the battlefield yeah. could weaken him at home. Yeah. But at some point, he's going to have to make the calculation whether does that flip in reverse and does continuing the war perhaps weaken him at home? We're not there yet. Maybe one day. What about the fact, though, that it was just on last Thursday that Dmitry Medvedev, the former uh, president of Russia, basically, you know, warned in an oblique way that Russia could use nuclear weapons if they're defeated in Ukraine. He said the loss of a nuclear power in a conventional war can provoke the outbreak of nuclear war. Nuclear powers do not lose major conflicts on which their fate depends. That's central to Russian nuclear doctrine. And that's something we've been, we the West, have been thinking about all along. How do you help Ukraine enough yeah. and not get to that point? But also, you don't want to signal that Russian nuclear threats have real weight. What will that teach the Russians and the rest of the world, that nuclear weapons are really useful? That's why this is such a tough crisis. How do you walk crisis. that line? You're a diplomat. <laughs> well, at the moment, I think you, you push, uh, as we're pushing. But at some point, you may say, we want to liberate Crimea, which is, you know, which is, yep. but you may not want to liberate it all militarily. And you might say, maybe that's still a role for diplomacy mm. and sanctions. This is going to be tricky. You, and you're exactly right. You've got to walk a line here. The administration's been doing it all along. I think not badly, but this is, this is, this is tricky given these, these threats. Richard, we spoke when uh, I did the night show when this war started. And um, did you think, one, did you think that it would last this long that we'd still be talking about it? Early on, everyone was worried that Ukraine would be overwhelmed. Right. We all underestimated Ukraine, overestimated Russia. By the way, we, there I include Vladimir Putin. Uh, I don't think a lot of experts thought this war was going to go the way it did. So then six months into the future, what do you think? It's going to look a lot like the present. <clears throat> you do? Wow. Sure. Why do you say that? Because I don't see either side necessarily having a, enough of a military advantage to break the other. Russia's in very dug-in defensive positions. Ukraine is getting more offensive firepower. I'm not sure it's going to be enough to fundamentally change the military balance. And I don't think either side is as yet ready to negotiate, but at some point, maybe. Can you talk about the book? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about what this book is about, as a matter of fact, because we, according to the Justice Department, the, the book is called The Bill of Obligations, The Ten Habits of Good Citizens. What happened in January 6th? 2021 was not good citizenry, right? It was not good citizenship. It's but actually what shocked me into writing this book. Really? The idea that, you know, I don't know about you, but I get up every morning and I worry about a lot of things. I never thought I had to worry about the, the fabric of American democracy, about the fabric of the United States. Mm -hmm. And what January 6th taught me is you, we can no longer take that for granted. So in the break, I just had um, Richard start to sign the book. And I said, can you write it to my kids, Sienna and Luca, when they're old enough? They're four and six now. Because what I like about this book so much is it is, it is about preserving democracy. But you write one of the central tenets of doing that is about compromise. And can we come to compromise? And you seem hopeful, but can we? 
Sure, compromise need not be a dirty word. When J John F. Kennedy wrote Profiles in Courage, some of the people he highlighted, he wrote portraits of, were people who were willing to take difficult compromises. But politicians, at the end of the day, will only do it if they get rewarded for it. In my experience, politicians aren't always responsible. They're always responsive. So they have to understand that if they make compromises, it actually will help them and not hurt them. So it's on us. They will do the right thing only if we pressure them to do the right thing. According to the Justice Department, more than 500 January 6th Capitol rioters have been found guilty of crimes committed that day. The members of the Oath Keepers have been found guilty of seditious, seditious conspiracy. Do you believe, do you think that people don't realize it, their own obligations as citizens of a democracy. That's, again, that's why I wrote the book. We don't understand that. We don't study it. Think about it. You can graduate from almost any university in this country never having studied anything about American democracy. You can graduate from many elementary and high schools, again, not having been exposed to it. Most Americans then, if, if they've read it, they've forgotten it. The Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. They've never read the Federalist Papers. So why do we think Americans will value democracy? Why do we think they'll understand what it takes for a democracy to work if they haven't studied it? And that's, that's the Reality. Is that why people believe the former president's lies? He says it because they haven't studied it. There's that, and also the, the the information world we live in. That they're they're on social media. They're on. They choose to go on media that reinforces all their biases. One of the things I've been arguing for is we need to have information literacy. New Jersey just passed a law, first state in the country, to teach students how to navigate the space of information. How do you tell when it's a fact? How do you tell fact from from opinion? There's a great the news literacy project. You know, does that work about teaching kids? Exactly. You know, my mother. I grew up, and I'm sure your mom said this. Consider the source. Mm -hmm. That is more important now than ever. And consider the sources. One of the things yeah. I think it's important is to multi-source, multi not single source your, your information. Yeah. I think that also really, uh, really helps. Speaking of sources, considering the source uh, and believing folks, are you watching this George Santos stuff? I'm sure you are. Well, I, I, I come from Long Island. I uh, grew up in Valley Stream, so I know something about the world he comes from. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a circus. It's, it's not just that he got to where he did based upon lies, but also the idea that he's seen as acceptable. Uh, one of the things I write about in this book is the importance of, of embracing norms, essentially decent, responsible behavior. There's no way the Republican Party should accept somebody like George Santos. He, he essentially ought to be rejected by the body politic. The Bill of Obligations, The Ten Habits of Good Citizens by Richard Haas. Congrats. I'll let you finish now. Okay. The kids. <laughs> Congratulations. I think it's his 15th book. Something like that. You got a lot. Thank wow. You. Thank Thanks you, Richard. Congrats. Thank you, guys. Um, all right. Take a look at this picture. has a lot of people talking. That is Floyd Dean Shannon, a Delta Airlines flight attendant, sitting in the middle of the aisle holding a nervous flyer's hand. Mid-flight, he's with us next. Yeah, where have you been all my life? I need him. I Hello. So this morning, hi everyone. Yeah, yeah, this morning, yeah. we still don't know. We still don't know which two NFL teams will face off at Super Bowl Fifty Seven. But we know who's going to be bringing the pre-show heat. I love me some Chris Stapleton. That voice is amazing. Country music star, eight-time Grammy Award winner Chris Stapleton will sing the national anthem. It is the third year in a row a country star will do the honors. Stapleton will also be accompanied by Troy Kotzer, who will perform an anthem in sign language. Kotzer won Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars last year for his performance in CODA.
All right, Babyface, come on now. R&B legend Babyface will sing America the Beautiful. The 12-time Grammy Award winner has written hits for Whitney Houston, Beyonce, Michael Jackson, and many more. An Emmy Award-winning actress, and my dear friend, I love her, the queen, the goat, Shirley Ralph will perform Lift Every Voice, making the second time what's known as the Black National Anthem will be sung at the Super Bowl. And finally, Rihanna, set to deliver the performance of the night. Music superstar and fashion mogul will headline the Apple Music Super Bowl halftime show. I am exhausted because there's so much talent there. That is crazy. Are you going? Can we go? Yeah. Let's just go and hey, do the show. We would from like there. to go. We'll do the show from there. Okay, great. Thanks. Okay, and now <laughs> they're going to send us. And now to a touching moment. We love this story, capturing the hearts of so many. Take a look. This is the image that has gone viral. It shows a Delta Airlines flight attendant going above and beyond to comfort a passenger who is apparently afraid to fly. You see him there holding her hand as she, as he sits on the aisle right next to her seat. That gentleman joins us now, Floyd Dean Shannon. You are wonderful. Yeah. And you can, we'll, we'll fly to the Super Bowl with you, and I know you'll take good care of us. Good yep. morning. Good morning. Good morning. So good tell, morning. tell us. Good morning. How y'all doing? We're Better we're, that you're here. Yep, better that you're here. Can you tell us, take us to that moment? <laughs> so to briefly run you through it real quick, she came on board the plane, and when she came onto the plane, she was a little nervous. <clears throat> And before we even took off, she started sweating real bad. And I was, you know, once we got to the elevation of two chimes, I went ahead and said and got up and asked and asked my former coworker, my my partner, and said, can you do the briefing while I go handle her? And I sat down and I said, are you OK? She said, I don't want this. I'm embarrassed. I said, it's no need to be embarrassed. I'm here. I explained everything to her from what from what noise, from what wave turbulence we had going on. I just went ahead and just explained it to reassure her that safety is the key that we have. And then we want you to have a wow experience with us. A, you said a wild experience? Wild, wild, wow, wow. Wow, W-O-W. -W. Okay, okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> yes. But look, there's nothing with a wild experience as well. But listen, I got to ask you, is it true that you've only been a, a flight attendant for three months? Yes, it is. It's very much true that I've only been a flight attendant. I graduated October the 26th, mm. class of 2220 a Yeah, and? Yes. And I've been trying to soar to the highest mountain that I can reach. I mean... I'm here. I'm here to serve. I'm here to give my love to everybody. I love to share the love. Uh, we're going to have to find out, Poppy, which, but just to fly, just go, like take a trip with him. Just We because, want to. Yeah. Should we let them in on our secret? We should have done this interview on the plane, right? Yes. That's our secret. We'll go. Oh, our secret <laughs> is, so I'm very scared to fly. People who know oh, yeah. me well know that. And I have had moments in tears on planes and it's been a struggle for me and I've worked through it but it's folks like you that really help but Don just told me in the break he gets a little nervous too I don't um I, I, look flying is obviously not natural to humans so I just don't I'm not a <laughs> fan of it I do it but I'm okay with it when it gets a little bumpy I, I don't like it especially when we're landing and we have to circle so and it's bumpy him. and I'm we like you. just land this damn thing come on let's get down there go <laughs> <laughs> so how do you help us what would you do in our case? 
So first thing I would do is give you a mimosa to make sure it calms you down. Abe, that's why we want to fly with you. <laughs> I will give you whatever you need to comfort you right then and there. My thing was with her, all her girlfriends, Molly and everybody had mimosas. She said, well, I'm going to try mimosa too. And I heard that you make the best. And that's what actually calmed her down. And then when, I, and then when it was close to landing, I told her, I said, close your eyes and visualize that you're going to be on the beach. Um, with your sun hat, your glass, and your feet stretched out, and a glass of mimosa or whatever you like pleasurable. Where, were you, where was she flying to again? I don't know. She was flying to New York. Okay. No beach here. Yeah. Well, not now. Not hey, now. I got to ask you before you not go. Not now. Um, the woman who posted this photo of you that went viral said you deserve a raise, and I know Delta has praised you. Um, what Have you talked to Ed Bastian, the CEO, yet? What have your chats with Delta been like? Yeah, Ed Cullen. I have been chat to nobody from Delta yet except for Mr. Eric, which is head of communications. Great. Um, that's the only person. And Catherine, which is my boss also. Mm -hmm. And I've been talking to former managers also. Great. You know, and pilots. So they do praise me. They do love me. And uh, I know they got something great for me. <laughs> and I'm just waiting. Well, we're going to make sure that they, we get them a copy of this segment, Floyd. We will. Thank you. Thank you. It was a, such a pleasure. You're Good luck to you. And I hope that if y'all need my schedule, I'll give it to y'all personally so that way y'all can find me. <laughs> <laughs> of course we do. Thank you for making our day. Thank you for making thank Shannon's you. day. Yeah. We need more people like you in yeah. this world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. What a nice thank you thank, so much. Thank you to for end. making our day. Yeah. yeah. What a nice way to end it. Thanks. That was awesome. See you tomorrow. Yeah, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Newsroom is now. <laughs> That is it for this episode of CNN This Morning. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at cnn.com slash audio or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.